Listen up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast. My name is Lyndon Pryor. I am your host and as well as the interim president and CEO of the Louisville Urban League. I hope that you are well um, and that all has gone well for you since last time we got to meet. Um, Today, you all are hearing this. We are obviously not recording this um, on the day, but you all are hearing this on Turkey Day. So hopefully you and your loved ones are are gathered around the fire and a big pot of greens listening to this podcast. Um, But if not, wherever it finds you, I hope that you are doing well. Um, I hope that your holiday is going um, as you would hope and as well as you would expect. Um, we know that the holidays are a rough time for folks, and so I hope that you're taking care of yourself, taking care of others. Um, without fail, many of us are um, experiencing an empty seat or two around the dinner table um, for the first time, and that can be rough. And so I just encourage you to be kind and compassionate to one another, extend grace um, to one another, extend grace to yourself. Um, during this time, because we know that the holidays can be rough. But in whatever way you can, no matter your circumstance or situation, I hope above all else that you have found um, some measure of peace and joy, um, not just for this day, um, but for the days and weeks and months ahead. Um, The only real housekeeping thing I got for you all is we got a luncheon coming up on December 1. Um, So that'll be next Friday. I hope that you are going to join us. We are almost out of tickets, y'all. So um, if you plan to join us, please, please, please go get your tickets um, so that you can be there. The annual Impact Report Luncheon is our opportunity to share about the work um, that we've been doing over the last fiscal year for the Urban League. Uh, But it's also for us to, to cast some vision and to talk about where we're going Um, and what's going to be happening in and around our community. And so I hope that you will take some time to join us Uh, this year. We're actually going to have a few kind of special announcements going on. And so it's going to be an exciting day for us, a busy day, but an exciting day nonetheless. And so uh, please make plans to join us December 1. You can go to LUL.org to get your tickets or Um, to sponsor a table or any other type of sponsorship. So I look forward to seeing you all there. Now, um, on to the business of the day. I am excited to have uh, another friend and homie and just, um, you know, a, a good supporter of not only the Louisville Urban League, but of this community. Miss um, Ramona Dallum is joining us here from the Community Foundation. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you, Lyndon. Thank you so much for having me and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I am so excited to be here and to just chat with my friend today. Absolutely. Um, so we are going to probably wander all over the place um, because you, you, you've done a lot in this space <laughs> and in this community. But we're going to start where we always start. Um, you know, I don't like to introduce the people. I like you to tell the folks about yourself for yourself. So if you wouldn't mind, please 
please, ma'am, give the people the quick and dirty on who you are, where you're from, um, what you do, and how did you arrive at the place that you are now? All right. I'll, I'll do my best. I don't know if it's going to be quick, but because <laughs> I've, I've done a lot of different things, but I want to start by honoring the people who got me here in the first place, mm-hmm. my mother and my father, uh, Harriet Marie Miller Dallum and Samuel James Dallum Jr. And my grandparents, mm-hmm. uh, Samuel James Dallum Sr. Mm-hmm. and Mamie Catherine Ellis Dallum and Bercy Bartholomew Sr. Come on, Lynn And Odell. <laughs> Uh, Teresa Bartholomew Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go further, but I want to give give thanks and honor to mm-hmm. my parents and my grandparents because of them. I am, and I continue that legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a proud Louisvillian. Uh, I've boomeranged a few times, mm-hmm. meaning I've left and come back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, some of us Louisvillians want to find greener pastures, Mm -hmm. other places. Mm -hmm. But the universe has brought me back home for a purpose. Mm. And uh, it's my honor to figure out what that purpose is Mm -hmm. and fulfill it. I consider myself a curious citizen, Mm -hmm. an artist, and a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. And uh, my whole purpose, I believe, is to help move resources towards black and other marginalized communities Mm -hmm. so we can practice Mm self-determination. That means we decide for ourselves how we want to live our lives to the fullest. And um, so that's why I'm here. Mm -hmm. And um, as as we, we were coming into this conversation, I was sharing where I've been and I have absolutely no idea where I'm going because uh, every time I try to figure out that path, it changes. So uh, currently I'm the Vice President of Community Engagement at the Community Foundation of Louisville. Uh, prior to that, I was the Director of Education at KMAC Museum. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I was an elementary school teacher for 11 years. And prior to that, I was in banking. And I am a proud Florida A&M University Rattler mm-hmm. School of Business and Industry. And All so, right. um, and I graduated from DuPont Manual, the okay. DuPont Manual High okay. School. So, see, so you see all of that. All of that. All of that. So all of all of those experiences have prepared me for this time. Awesome. And and thank you for shouting out the Rattlers. I just yes. so for those who listened to the previous episode, um, my brother Ben Johnson was on here, another former Rattler. Yes. Um and we strike. Strike and strike again. I don't. I don't know anything about all that. Yes, we do. Um, No, you don't. But but that's okay. But I just want to make sure it's clear. Even though I did rep for, um, you know, my community who who came out of Prairie A and M University, there is no 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 discord, no disrespect. Um, We love all our HBCUs, and so that is awesome. And we may talk a little bit more. 
about that. But Are you interested in receiving the COVID-19 vaccine but worried about the cost? Through the CDC's Bridge Access Program, you can get the updated COVID-19 vaccine for free, regardless of your insurance status. Simply visit CVS, Walgreens, Echo North Network Pharmacies, or HRSA-supported health centers. It's easy, accessible, and free. To find a provider, visit vaccines.gov and scroll down to the Bridge Access Program. That's vaccines.gov. This message is brought to you in partnership with the CDC and the National Urban League. But I want to start here. And so you being a little bit, and one of the things that I've asked um, a few of the the native Louisvians is how has this place changed or evolved um, in your eyes um, over the time that you that you've seen it and that you've lived it. Um. How has this place changed? In some ways it hasn't, and in some ways it seriously has. And for me, the biggest change has uh, been the shift in the black, middle, and upper class. Mm. Um, growing up, I had lots of, of family members and friends mm. whose parents had really good jobs at places uh, like Brown Foreman and International Harvester, uh, even um, uh, Standard Gravier with the newspapers. And if you did not have a college degree, you were still able to provide substantially for your family. Mm -hmm. And you could be part of that middle class. And I grew up in the West End and I remember living next to doctors and attorneys mm -hmm. and nurses, and, and I don't see that mm -hmm. now. And there weren't as many vacant and abandoned properties. You mm -hmm. didn't see the blight. Mm -hmm. What I saw growing up was hope and opportunity. Right. And what if you live in the West End, if you live in parts of Newburgh, you don't always see those things mm. uh, now. And <clears throat> I grew up in the Black Achievers Program. Mm -hmm. So I saw black professionals every Saturday, and I knew what I could aspire to. It's very difficult for young people to go to one place, black, black young folks, to go to one location mm -hmm. and see that continuously now. And so I think that that is the thing that's changed. I, I, I have chosen to live in the West End mm -hmm. because I want to be one of those examples for young people and families right. now. And I really think it's part of my responsibility as a professional black woman uh, to really continue and to reclaim mm -hmm. the legacy because I think so many of us, just like me, mm -hmm. thought there were greener pastures outside of Louisville mm -hmm. and left never to return. Mm -hmm. But I have seen what's on the other side and mm -hmm. I know what's possible for our city, but we have to have the, the brain power, the intellect, the expertise, mm -hmm those experience. So those of us who have left, I hope we will return yeah. to continue to rebuild and reclaim uh, the legacy that our 
parents and grandparents and great-grandparents initiated here for us mm -hmm. to recapture. So, so that's interesting because there is, I mean, this story of, um, you know, the community that once existed and the fact that you had this robust, diverse stratification of blackness. Um, I mean, that's a story that we can tell across the nation um, mm -hmm. that existed. And, and certainly we can point to integration as part of the reason why we, we see less of that. But I wonder for you as somebody who, as you, you know, as you were sharing earlier, you know, left for college and had no intention to return, what, be it for you or for your peers um, who have left and maybe have not returned, what was it that pushed you out of Louisville? Hmm. I think the thing that pushed me out of Louisville is I wanted something different for myself. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't, even though I was in Black Achievers, and I saw black professionals. Mm -hmm. I really didn't feel like there was lots of opportunities for me to grow. Mm -hmm. Like, did the city really want me to grow? Mm. And how was this city supporting me in mm -hmm. growing? The city being not just those black professionals and that black network around me, mm -hmm. but how was our local government and infrastructures mm -hmm. supporting me. When I left, that's when the jobs were beginning to leave mm -hmm. Louisville. That's when all the major factories that my friend's parents were working for began to close. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was going to have to work mm -hmm. for someone. Um, um, and I didn't see that happening here mm -hmm. in Louisville. So let me expand my opportunities. Yeah. Uh, and going to Florida A&M really introduced me to black excellence. Mm. Because here in Louisville, if you're uh, seen as the exceptional black youth, mm. we have a tendency to gravitate towards that one or two handful of individuals and will build them up, mm -hmm. but not really the collective. Yeah. And when I went to to Florida A and M, I was I was I saw black excellence, and I was no longer the only one, mm -hmm. or one of the few that our city was willing to was willing to embrace. Mm -hmm. um, but I was in this community of black excellence that pushed me to be even more, mm -hmm. and to see that there were so many more opportunities. Mm -hmm. And Ben talked about last week the professors that he met at FAMU and Dr. Clark and Dr. Uh, Sybil Mobley helping to strengthen us to think outside of the box. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily, I didn't get that in Louisville. Mm. I didn't, I got, in, in, in my experience, it was like I was in a box, mm -hmm. and there was only so much you could do within this box in mm -hmm. this city. Yeah. But going outside of this city, I saw that there was so much more that I could do. Yeah. And I think that 
those experiences are the reason why I'm so curious now mm -hmm. and that I'll continue to question and uh, ask, is there another way that we could be approaching some of our longstanding uh, issues and challenges in this city? Mm -hmm. And the investment has to be behind some of those long-term solutions and strategies. And uh, how can this city better support the expertise and the talent and the creativity that we have locally mm -hmm. that feels like there's no place for them to grow here like I did over 30 some years ago when I left right. the first time. Yeah. No, I mean, and we're going we're gonna to talk about investment because that obviously deals specifically in your role that you have now. But, <clears throat> you know, something you said there in terms of the feeling that, um, you know, when you left as to whether or not you were wanted by your city. And I think that that is I think that is interesting because we as a community, I mean, obviously, as the Urban League um, and other organizations, but I think even um, as individual community members, and we've heard a lot about this, obviously, in the last three years since um, the killing of Breonna Taylor and all of the civil unrest and this idea that um, of not feeling wanted or cared for by your by your city, by your home. And I think there's a struggle from those who are on the other side, those who non-black or maybe even black, but who maybe may not necessarily understand. There is a struggle, I think, for them to, to understand what that is and what that feels like um, to, to feel unwanted, you know, in a place that you have called home, um, that you've grown up in, that you've you know, giving yourself to that you've got generations of people who have invested in this place and lived in this place for however long. Um, I guess my, my question in that for you is, is now as, as an adult who is back in doing this work, how do you translate or try to translate that experience of what it is we are trying to create? You know, whether it's you individually as an artist, as a community member, you as a member of the community foundation and what you're trying to help transform there or we as a community. How do you translate that feeling or lack of feeling of of belonging um, in this city to those who are in positions of power and privilege? Turn your dreams of home ownership into reality with the Center for Housing and Financial Empowerment. Our dedicated team will help you prepare your finances, boost your credit, and nurture your financial well-being. We offer informative classes to guide you through the home buying process and provide one-on-one -on -one counseling with a trusted HUD certified housing counselor. For more information, call 502-585-4600. Two, two, or visit lul.org slash housing. Every day, I'm still trying to figure out how do you translate mm -hmm. that experience because people only know what they know mm -hmm. and, and what they experience. 
And I'm glad, kind of glad that you asked this question because um, I take, I started taking Pilates. But the only place I can go find this Pilates studio mm-hmm. is on Shelbyville Road. Okay. And I live on Southwestern Parkway. Okay. In between Chickasaw and Shawnee Park. Mm-hmm. So I got to drive yeah. to go get my Pilates class. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was out at Shelbyville Road and I was driving around, I looked at all the restaurants Mm-hmm. The stores, the schools, mm-hmm. everything was in walking distance. And as I was riding around trying to get to my spot, I said, there's no reason for anybody in this neighborhood to leave this neighborhood mm-hmm. unless they choose to. Mm-hmm. You've got your grocery stores, you have your restaurants, you have your entertainment, you have your education, everything is right there in that neighborhood mm-hmm. in St. Matthews. Mm-hmm. But I had to drive 20 minutes to get some exercise. Mm-hmm. The exercise I was choosing for myself, not that someone said, I, th- this is what I'm going to provide for you. Mm-hmm. But what I chose, I had to drive to. Right. If I want to go to the grocery store, I either go to New Albany, mm-hmm. Or um, I go out to Goss Avenue, which mm-hmm. is neither one of them is in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But if I have to go someplace else to get my basic needs taken care of, as an uh, adult, mm-hmm. that gives me the signal that no one in positions of power who actually makes investments in our community. Mm-hmm. is really looking at the areas where black and brown people live. Right. And if you just look at your surroundings, mm-hmm. it's evident that there are some areas that are more cared for than other areas in our mm-hmm. city. And until we reckon with that as a city mm-hmm. and make intentional long-term investments in areas that have been intentionally underinvested in, mm-hmm. then there's always going to be a pop a section of our population that is going to feel like mm-hmm. that I'm not welcome here. Right. And um and there's something to be said about being in places where you can truly authentically practice your own culture. Yeah. And 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 to feel like that you can be your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And in this city there seems to be um, a lack of opportunity to people to culturally be themselves. Mm-hmm. And when I think about uh, the investments in Shawnee and, and Chickasaw Park. Uh, those are spaces where all people can culturally be themselves, mm-hmm. uh, but there's lack of investment or has mm-hmm. been lack of investment mm-hmm. in those places. I'm glad to see it happening now, mm-hmm. but is that something that we're going to be able to sustain right. for future generations? And I was uh, at a convening last week talking about it was a thriving um, 
thriving communities convening, looking mm -hmm. about how do we bring federal dollars right. uh, into the city. There's four trillion, nearly four trillion dollars that have been made available through the president's executive orders, but the majority of those dollars are being funneled through the state. Mm -hmm. How do we influence the way that the state uses these dollars to invest environmental justice and infrastructure, mm -hmm. especially in neighborhoods that have not seen that investment, and um, and where in neighborhoods where it was allowed for pollution and manufacturing our uh, industry that's known to expel pollutants into the air. Mm -hmm. How do we really draw on those dollars to make lasting, sustainable changes that look seven generations forward, not mm -hmm. just the next generation, right. but seven generations into the future? I, I, I'm not sure how we translate that mm -hmm. to other people other than continuing to share our lived experience mm -hmm. and helping others to see that because of the, the inequities we have in this city, we may not be able to sustain ourselves for seven generations right. moving forward if we don't embrace and invest in our entire city. Yeah, because it, <clears throat> I think the the thing that gets lost on some, um, certainly not all, but on some is that you know that that lack of feeling cared for, um, or appreciated, or invested in, it it has an impact beyond just kind of the nuts and bolts of like what's in your community and all of that. Like there is a psychological toll that happens in that it impacts the way in which people see themselves and, and the opportunities that they have before them, um, how they see each other. Um, and I, I think it's interesting cause you, you talk about, you know, having to go to FAMU and leave this place to be able to see, what you were capable of, right? Right. And how, you know, what your full potential could be, yes. you know, had to happen outside of a space because you felt, as you said, somewhat boxed in mm -hmm. by what was here. And I think that is just, it is just an important thing that I think we have to remember is because sometimes when we have these conversations around the city, you know, mayor just released an economic development plan and, and there's lots to be said about that, some good, some, some, you know, critical. But I think in that is that sometimes we want to reduce these things to just kind of numbers. Like, all right, there's this much money is going here, that much money, and that somehow it should just be what it is, right? Like, it, it only impacts what you can see and touch. And it's like, no, this, this has a real impact on the psyche of communities and not just for one generation, but for potentially generations to come. Um, so how then in your work, so you're at the Community Foundation and y'all are, um, shout out to Ron Gallo um, over there who I am a huge fan of. I'm a uh, huge fan of my boss too. He is, uh, he is awesome. And, I, and I'll tell you why, and this gets, 
because so you all came <clears throat> and stood with us. So after the old national shooting and the shooting in, in, in Shawnee Park, um, we, the Urban League, had a press conference and we released a, a long document talking about the need for serious and sane, as I will say, <laughs> gun reform in the state. And you all called and said, hey, we want to come stand with you and we want to announce some things um, as well along this topic. Um, and that was awesome. But one of the things that Ron got up and stood and said that just blew me away because I think it was the first time that I had heard a funder get up and say is, hey, we part of the problem and we got to do better. And we're going to, if we're going to change this community, um, we have a significant role to play. We as funders, as philanthropy, have a significant role to play um, in doing that. And I remember standing there thinking, like, that takes some courage to do in this, in this city. In particular, I mean, it probably takes courage in every city, but in this city in particular, that takes some measure of courage. And so to see him do that, um, he, he won me over instantly. Um, but, you know, I know that that is also um, in large part because of you and some of your colleagues and y'all are in there, you know, pushing people and you know, elbowing them in the in the ribs to say, let's go on and let's get better. So talk a little bit about the work that you do at the Community Foundation and, and how you are looking to use that vehicle to transform a community. Yes. I um, thank you for that shout out to Ron Gallo. Um, he has provided transformative leadership for mm -hmm. the foundation. And again, He's an outsider who's seen what can be done other places mm -hmm. and how can he provide the space and opportunity for us to make significant changes in philanthropy. The Community Foundation is, uh, at its core, a financial institution with a social mission. Mm -hmm. Unlike uh, a private family foundation, uh, we have thousands of Fund holders, thousands of people who have given of their extra <laughs> uh, to to actually do good in community. The majority of our fund holders make those decisions for themselves, but as a community foundation, we can influence how those assets are moved and distributed within our community. Uh, most people know of grants where someone freely gives mm -hmm. uh, money to support a social cause and um, not expecting those dollars back. Mm -hmm. uh, many of our fund holders make grants all the time, but what they have donated to the Community Foundation is invested. And the majority, probably about 95% uh, of those Donations are invested mm. in um, entities outside of Louisville. Mm. And I am very proud to say that the foundation is really uh, taking steps now to uh, put some 
practices in place where we can begin to invest a portion of that 95% mm-hmm. into community. And when I'm talking about investments, we're talking about something that's returned. Right. So uh, uh, where we're investing in a development project uh, in, a, uh, in a community that has been underinvested in, expecting to get a return from that investment, and then mm-hmm. we can recycle those mm-hmm. philanthropic dollars. Mm-hmm. So, um, but in order to make those those types of changes, mm-hmm. I think it's part of our responsibility to um, to educate our fund holders through our practice. And uh, we have about three million dollars that my team, the community engagement team. Uh, annually gets to determine how it moves in community. And uh, we are leaning heavily into trust-based philanthropy Mm. where we're building partnerships and relationships with people who are every day experiencing the challenges that we want to address. You Mm. mentioned the gun violence. That's uh, We want our city to be a safer city for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're looking at... uh, our well-being. We're looking at prosperity across all of those uh, across those communities who haven't been invested in. How can we really make greater, uh, more? I won't say greater, but more impactful grant-making decisions. How can we make more impactful investments? Um, so we can demonstrate to our fund holders. If you think about your uh, how your dollars do good in community mm-hmm. by leaning on the expertise of those who are closest to the issues mm-hmm. that we can make uh, transformative investments versus transactional mm-hmm. where I'm giving you these dollars you're going to do something with it and it's over no we need to make investments for again where we're impacting seven generations mm-hmm. ahead. Right. And we're not just thinking about Band-Aid approaches, but how do we actually transform systems? Mm-hmm. How do we uh, reduce the harm uh, that's been done in the past? How do we reduce harm today mm-hmm. from our decisions? And also, how can our decisions repair are begin to repair the harms done in the past. Mm. So you you threw out a term, trust-based philanthropy. What yes. is that? Trust-based philanthropy is, <clears throat> some, some people say, I've heard some other funders say, trust-based philanthropy is you willy-nilly just giving dollars out to people. Mm. That is not what trust-based philanthropy is. <laughs> trust-based philanthropy is listening to the people with the lived and earned experiences mm. to address some of the long-standing challenges that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Trust-based philanthropy is about a two-way learning between the funder and the people who are actually receiving the financial support. Mm. Um it's about due diligence. It's about listening to uh, community leaders to understand which are the established and emerging solutions mm. that could be um, strengthened 
accelerated, further sustained by proper investment, either grant dollars or mm -hmm. um, other investments such as loans, loan loss guarantees. How do we help some of these institutions that are longstanding institutions mm -hmm. be owners of the assets that they're using in their work? Mm. Um, how do we support um, those leaders who are actually doing the work every day and making the decisions mm -hmm. on how that work continues. Um, in the past, it has been um, a practice of funders to tell organizations how to use the mm -hmm. dollars that, uh, that they're being given. Right. Uh, instead of trusting their expertise mm -hmm. to determine how those dollars are used for themselves. Uh, there's also been a practice, a traditional practice of just funding programs mm -hmm. instead of funding the entire institution. Mm -hmm. Just like when someone goes to invest in a Coca-Cola, right. they don't invest in one product of Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. They invest in the entire organization, mm -hmm. and the organization's leadership determines how those resources are used. Mm -hmm. Those same practices um, should be involved when we're talking about social change and investing in mm -hmm. social change. How do we invest in an organization so it's strong enough to do its work and to even absorb additional capital? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about developing people and uh, making investments that help to develop people and in turn, those people strengthen their organizations and those organizations strengthen our community. When your child enrolls in Kumon, they can reach math and reading mastery that will allow them to have a lifetime of advantages. Kumon is an academic achievement program, preschool through high school, the world's most successful after-school learning program. To enroll today, contact us directly at 502-552-0014. Wellington Kumon, located at 3610 Mall Road, next to Target in the Newburgh area. Right. So, I mean, obviously what you're saying makes a ton of sense, like <laughs> at a very basic level, but there is a real, for lack of a better word, a, a real fight happening within the philanthropic community. And I don't just mean that here locally. I mean, there's this nationally, there is a, there's a conversation that is happening around how philanthropy does its business. Um, and it is kind of this tug of war between, you know, trust base, versus, I don't know what the other one is, I just always kind of called it like this benevolent idea of, of charity um, that philanthropy has had. And there are some other models out there as well. Um, and I guess my question to you is, kind of now that you're, you're somewhat on the inside, why is this, why is this such a struggle? Like, why are, why are we having such a hard time in moving philanthropic organizations to a more trust-based model of giving? I hear your question. 
And I forgot we were on the radio, on yeah, the podcast, yeah, they, they, so y'all couldn't see me. You couldn't, they they couldn't right. see me looking at you. Yeah. They couldn't see me looking at you. So I heard your question, and um, I don't know if anyone has watched this show on uh, uh, HBO Max called Gilded Age. Hmm. And Gilded Age is really talking about the industrial revolution and the uh, the steel tycoons and the railroads and mm-hmm. all of that in the late 1800s. And people with wealth mm-hmm. use their extra, their philanthropy, as a show of status and power. Mm-hmm. And I believe, this is just Ramona, I don't have any research behind any of this, Mm -hmm. but I believe that this is an, philanthropy is an entrenched social practice Mm -hmm. that it's in, uh, in a way, elevates those with wealth as being very, you know, the benevolent, Mm -hmm. I'm going to help everyone, I'm going to take care of those less fortunate mm-hmm. than myself and because of this I I all my status mm-hmm. will be elevated and you see this in this show Gilded Age and that's why I like watching it because it reminds me of some of the history mm-hmm. that um influences philanthropy today mm-hmm. and it reminds me that I'm trying to shift thought practices that go back hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, probably even goes all the way back to the Roman and Greek eras. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so when, when, when you're trying to shift mm-hmm. entrenched thought practices that have been passed down from generation to generation, mm-hmm to think about all people as um, contributing members to society, mm-hmm. as important, as valued, and as respected, then it's not going to be an easy shift. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can't just keep talking about shifting. We have to actually shift through our actions and then our actions will be the things that other people can learn from and hopefully emulate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not just emulate, but even take them to a, a level that we hadn't even considered. Right. So yes, it is it, 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 shifting power, shifting mm-hmm. who's in control, of resources, mm-hmm. you. I, I believe you're a study, a, a student of history. Yep. Yep. So you know how mm-hmm. deeply entrenched this is. Um, um, but we just have to continue to act and realize that this isn't something that's going to pivot immediately. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a tro- a slow, steady push. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and when you frame it in that way, it makes me think of, I mean, to restate it, 
slightly differently, but I think just as as relevant is that model of philanthropy that you just described requires it requires a charitable class. It requires there to be somebody for whom I can always be benevolent to. Someone it's, who's always seen as less than. Right. And so I can't I can't give so good as to solve the problem because once I solve their problem then or contribute to the solving of the problem, I no longer have somebody that I'm above. And so I am invested in this insofar as sustaining their level of um of 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 not being in the same class as me because that allows this cycle to perpetuate um in perpetuity right like and so i hear what you're saying is as being part and parcel of folks not wanting to give up the intrinsic benefits that come with being the benevolent givers, right? Like, because if we actually tried to solve these problems, then who am I going to give to? <laughs> and who's going to hold me up and lift me up in my honor and, you know, name buildings after me or statues because we, we will have solved these things. And so why would we continue um, to do that? No, let's, let's do this at the margins to where we, it looks good, the numbers are pretty, and maybe, you know, we can do some videos, take some pictures, build a building or two, but we're not gonna actually get in there and hit tackle root causes. Is that is that fair? I mean, you don't have to say, I know you, you, got, you got people you report to, but you can, y'all can't see it, she's shaking her head like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. It's fine. We'll move on. Okay. Uh, well, I want I, I want to respond to this in this way. Samuel James Dallum Jr., my daddy, yeah, worked the assembly line at General Electric. Mm-hmm. Harriet Miller Dallum, my mm-hmm. mother, mm-hmm. was the principal at West End Catholic Elementary, which was across the street from. Southwick and Carter Holmes. Mm-hmm. Neither one of my parents had the resources to be overly benevolent. Mm-hmm. But I saw my mother at West End Catholic who had students who lived in Carter Homes in Southwick, and their parents would do things around the the school in order to help pay their tuition. Mm-hmm. So they would they would cook the lunch. They would clean. Mm-hmm. They that's how the tuition got paid. So that was their form of mm-hmm. benevolence. Let's figure out how we get this done so we can all be elevated. Right. My daddy always told me, I work the assembly line. That's who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be someone other than who I am. But I will provide for my family. And we always found a way mm-hmm. 
And if there was someone in the family, our community, that needed some support, we figured out how to make that happen. That was our form of benevolence. Mm -hmm. Think about benevolence in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. My benevolence is not about raising the status of Ramona Dallum. It's about raising the opportunity of the people who surround me. Mm -hmm. Not just some of the people, but Mm -hmm. all of the people who surround me and are in my community. Mm -hmm. And because I'm in this seat in a traditional philanthropic institution Mm -hmm. that has 40 years of existence in this city, I can now bring that perspective into that this this place. Mm -hmm. And I think when more people who think about using our extra Mm -hmm. for social good begin to think in the way that my mama and my daddy Mm -hmm. showed me and my grandparents showed me, and I know that's not unique. Mm -hmm. My experience is not unique. Um, That that's when philanthropy will begin to do even more towards elevating all of the people in our community so we're no longer needed. Yeah. And uh, we'll have to find something else to do with our extra. Right. Absolutely. Um, are we? Are we getting better? I think we are getting better mm-hmm. because I'm, I, I hear every day some of our fund holders mm-hmm. who come, many of them come from very affluent families, asking the questions, how can I do this differently? How can uh, my dollars really make transformative change? Mm-hmm. But I still have some people who still want their name on the building. Mm-hmm. They're still going to give to the football programs at their universities. Mm-hmm. Um, we are still at the Community Foundation committed to supporting those families just as much as we are to committing to supporting those families mm-hmm. who want to see social justice and uh, as, their, as their mission. Mm-hmm. So how do, you know, the um, Great Louisville Project last year, maybe year before last, did a report about giving. And what they found here in Louisville is is there's a whole lot of folks, both individuals as well as organizations, corporations, institutions that, that are holding on to their extra. How do we begin to unlock that from those folks? What is the story that you all at the Community Foundation are telling and, and how do we begin to get more people to give of the extra that we know we have? So I'm not I'm not talking about extra that don't exist. This is extra that we know people have um, that they are keeping in their pockets. I think it. You you just said stories. I think it has to do with the stories we were telling, mm-hmm. and how does how can greater investment in the forms of 
grants, loans, loan loss guarantees, equity investments, how can those things actually transform our entire city mm. for the better? When we look at investing in every resident of Louisville, what will that do for our city and its future? Mm -hmm. And I think those are the stories we have to tell. Be, uh, I, I, I think you and Ben talked about this uh, last week that we are in a, in a time where most people think of themselves as individuals mm -hmm. versus as the community mm -hmm. and that there is a communal connection and uh, most BIPOC communities, black, indigenous, people of color communities think communally. Mm -hmm. And until that communal thought pattern becomes the norm, um, I think we're going to continue to struggle. Mm -hmm. And so we have to get away from the individual mindset, but help the individual see themselves as part of a larger community and how the individual's actions impact the collective. And when the collective is strong, mm -hmm. the individual is also strong. Yeah. So a couple of things before I, I let you get out of here. One of the, I guess, I don't know if it was the first place that we met or the way in which we connected was you were sitting on <clears throat> the community group that was advising on the food port project. Yes. And then that fell through, and then that translated into, hey, what are we going to do with this 24 acres that would ultimately become, you know, the sports and learning complex um, that the Urban League did. But, I mean, A, shout out again to you for all of the work there. But that experience obviously spoke to, you know, Ramona's commitment to community and and the West End. And I wonder, um, what does that now look like for you as an individual? Like how, what's, what's going on and how are you helping to take care of and, and promote opportunity in and investment in, in the West End beyond your day job? Yeah, um, that's a very good question because um, my day job, takes a lot of my energy. Mm -hmm. And we just talked about some really deep structural issues mm -hmm. that need to be changed. And as uh, I get older, I just celebrated my 53rd birthday. Come on now. Yeah, I, uh, I think about the Ramona of the past mm -hmm. and the Ramona who has to show up mm -hmm. for the future, for the right now and the future. And I'm a, a recovering workaholic. <laughs> and so I used to think that I have to solve every problem. Mm -hmm. And I have to do everything I can to solve every problem. Mm -hmm. But now I'm trying to work a little wiser. Mm. And for me, it's helping to develop the future leaders who can continue the work. Yeah. And so I'm constantly looking for opportunities in my day-to-day -day work mm -hmm. to find ways that I can 
uh, position the next generation mm -hmm. to take on the work mm. uh, and providing space for that to happen. I am uh, an artist. I'm a um, mixed media textile artist, so mm -hmm. I work in quilting, and I like to take things, materials that people have thrown away and mm -hmm. discarded and reimagine them in new ways, and I stitch them with my hands. Mm -hmm. So I see my work as being part of my artistic practice, except mm -hmm. I'm stitching together people mm -hmm. and resources in a new way. And so uh, the West Louisville uh, Community Council, mm -hmm. which uh, continued to do the work after the food port disappeared, mm -hmm. Um, that got me on this path. Mm -hmm. I think that work is what positioned me to be in this space at the Community Foundation. And um, so I will always continue to do the work mm -hmm. with the lens of the larger community in mind, mm -hmm. specifically the black community and other marginalized groups. Louisville Urban League's Kentuckiana Bills program is your introduction to the skills trades that lead to careers in construction, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, and HVAC. This six-week hands-on and technical education program provides training for job seekers to earn three national credentials, JCTC credit, all while connecting employers with a qualified skilled workforce. This innovative partnership is funded by Kentuckiana Works and the Kentucky Education and Workforce Development Cabinet. For more information, visit lul.org backslash jobs. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. And I, I mean, I love this idea of, of preparing the next generation. I think that is when I was in higher education, um, that was one of my chief goals was try to pull the curtain back on, yes. you know, on how the games are played. Um, but a big part of that was always talking about succession planning and sustainability of movements because mm -hmm. so often that is what happens to us um, and not just us, but anybody who's out here fighting for stuff is the powers that be, they just wait you out. And yes. so, and they and they trust that off more often than not, you are not going to prepare a group of people or persons to come behind you to actually continue what you started. And it's not that the problem goes away; it's just that whoever's come behind you now they got to start all over because we didn't do what we needed to do to prepare them to stand on what was built. And to keep going from there. Um, and so I absolutely love that that is a part of, you know, your investment in community now. And, and, and I love the part how you connect it to your art practice. Because one of the things I'd say all the time around here is, is this country has a really bad habit um, of to throw people away. Yes. And we do it in all kinds of different ways. I mean, when we look at our criminal justice system, this idea that you be 17, 18 years old and make a mistake and we we will punish you for that for the rest That's of your life. life. Um, or, you know, 
just, you, you know, people who may have all kinds of different situations going on, right? Whether that be disabilities or, um, mm-hmm. or just lack of opportunity in certain places, um, or quite frankly, just be born in the wrong zip code. And we will, we have decided that it is okay to discard people. Um, and we've got to get out of that, right? Like we've got to get ourselves to a place where we are um, no longer throwing people away, but finding ways to integrate, to help heal um, and, and, and reconstitute people into society. Um, however it is that they may have been distanced, we need to do a much better job of that. And it, and it sounds like you are living that out um, every day. And I, I, I so appreciate that because we don't have enough of that um, in the, at the individual level and certainly not at the systematic and institutional levels as well. And so we've got to do more um, well, as a big one. for seeing me and, yeah. and, and doing that. And I was talking to uh, some young people the other day. They were all black female artists. And um, they shared with me that they have been told that they have to learn their hard knocks and uh, do it the hard way because the people that came before them did it the hard way. Mm-hmm. And they said, but Miss Ramona, shouldn't it be that the people who came before me teach me the barriers that they had to overcome so right. I don't have to face those same barriers and I can move quicker? Right. And I said, yes, I believe that that's our role. Mm-hmm. Is, and I almost got upset because I've had a young artist friend tell me that I was the elder she was looking for. And I was like, how am I your elder? But... I, yeah, I just turned 53, so yeah, I'm got to be somebody's yeah, elder. Yeah, right. So, I, But that's the role of, mm. I think, people my age and older yeah. is we have to teach. You navigate these obstacles so they don't have to figure it out yeah. on their own. And so the next generation can build on what we experienced and take us to places that I can't even imagine. Yeah. And uh, on right now, we know that college education is unaffordable for mm. many people in uh, the BIPOC community. Mm. But many of us are sitting in institutions that say you have to have a college degree to be considered for the job. Mm. Uh, all of the positions on my team, a college degree was not a requirement, but your experience was. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for people with experience, not necessarily a degree. Neither I couldn't afford to send either one of my children to university. Mm. So they uh, are using their lived experiences to make mm. their way. So I think more of us have to be willing to do Things like that to mm-hmm. make shifts like that so we can prepare the way for the next generation, especially if our government and institutions aren't going to make things like education accessible mm-hmm. for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so many of us, and I, you know, I am 
parent of two young children. Um, and so I am learning this as I go, but I think there is this tendency and we see it in lots of other places of you got to do it. Cause I did it Yes, sort of a thing, or there's this polar opposite of you ain't going to did it. You're not going to do it. Cause it was done to me. And I think in both cases, both extremes are not necessarily helpful, right? Like right. there's there is context to all of these things. But this idea of I'm going to put you through, you know, torture because I went through torture. Like it, it has never served anybody. <laughs> like it ain't, it ain't helpful. Um, and that's not to say that there isn't some benefit to struggle and adversity, right? Like that is, I think that is a good, um, that is something that is good for human beings to understand um, but just just putting people through hell because like you went through it like is it's just not really a good practice and we do it in parenting we do it in the workplace we do it in education we do it a whole lot of different places as opposed to saying like all right how do I help you get somewhere else without it being a struggle um, as much of a struggle as it was for me and so that is that is just a place that we we again we've got to con- recondition ourselves and, um and, and oppress oppressive systems condition us mm-hmm. to act that way by saying you know i went through hell you gotta go through hell too that's conditioning of an oppressive system right we have to break that oppressive system by intentionally moving and acting mm-hmm. in a totally different way. Right. Yeah. Cause it, again, because it doesn't mean that you don't provide spaces of accountability mm-hmm. that, uh, That's or, right. or rigor, right? Like that, that folks don't have to work or work hard to do things, but it does not have to hurt. Right? Correct. <laughs> like, and there is, there is a difference um, in the way in which we do it, and we just have to get um, so much better. Um, as a people in terms of how we think about our, as you said, breaking of these oppressive systems for ourselves um, in in creating our own paths, not just for ourselves, but for future generations to come. Last thing that I ask you is a question I ask everybody. What is your hope for Louisville? My hope for Louisville is that we will truly become a city where every human life is valued and respected and that everyone has the opportunity to reach their full potential in the way they design. Mm. Not the way that someone designs it for them, Mm -hmm. but they have access to all of the resources and opportunities that they need to design their own purpose and future. And um, that's the only way I think that we as a society can really continue to elevate and and be mm. all that we were put on this earth to be. That's right. Well, Ramona, thank you for joining us. I just... Um, have to say again, I mean, I, I met you in community and you have carried that ethic 
in in every space that I've ever been um, in with you, um, both individually as well as collectively. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, not just from the standpoint of the league, but it is, um, but it truly means a lot as somebody who who believes in community and who who lives and breathes this idea that the only way we're going to get anywhere is if we get there together. That is uh, correct. And so, um, you know, I, I, I see and have always felt and heard that in you. And so I just, I appreciate that so much because we need so much more of that. And we need people of that mindset and of that in positions of power and authority. And so to see you doing the work that you're doing um, in the community foundation and to know that the stuff that y'all are pushing in, um, the direction that y'all are moving is because of folks like you, um, you know, getting in somebody's back to make sure um, that they are headed in the right direction. And so I just, I just can't tell you, I, I know that I appreciate you individually, the league appreciates you, um, and this community is better for you. far and I know continue to be in the future. Lincoln, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for the acknowledgement. And I can look forward to continuing to work with you and the league because there's still a whole lot more work to do. Whole lot to do. But again, as I say all the time, I ain't here for us to be around and I, I, I want to be able to close up the doors of this shop one day. Yes. Um, and that's because we're going to get to a place where we will be exactly what you talked about, a place where everybody has the opportunity and access to get to where they want to be for themselves. Um, but with that, ladies and gentlemen, this is Listen Up, the Louisville Urban League's radio show and podcast. Thank you for joining us. Um, hope that you have enjoyed this time with us here on your turkey day um, or whenever you heard us. Remember that you can find uh, this show anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate us, review us, let us know what you think of the show. Um, as I said at the top, um, take care of yourselves uh, this holiday season. I know it is not easy for everybody. There's a lot going on, but be safe. Um, extend grace um, to one another. Extend grace to yourself um, and find uh, whatever measure of peace and joy that you can um, whenever you can, because that is most vital. Um, I look forward to talking to you all next week. Um, I hope to see you all at the luncheon on December 1. Um, it's going to be a good time, y'all. But y'all take care of yourselves. Be safe, Louisville. And we will talk to you soon. Peace. The Louisville Urban League wants to make sure that every student thrives academically. And to make that possible, the league is offering free intensive tutoring to JCPS students who qualify. Kindergarten through 12th grade students can receive expert help in reading, math, and ACT prep. Kids like me deserve every opportunity to succeed and to reach our greatest potential. Sign your student up today. To learn more, visit 
lul.org or call 502-585-4622.